Father in heaven, we are thankful, Lord, that you are in control of all things. Uh, Lord, the uh, things may be spiraling out of control in our nation, in our lives, uh, maybe even in our own homes. Uh, but Lord, we are to, we're to trust and we're to obey and we're to be in, fa- uh, in faith like a child, a childlike faith that we're to develop. Lord, thank you for this morning. We ask you for your blessing upon the study of your word, the understanding of it, Lord, the application of it. When we leave this place, Lord, help us to apply it. Help us not to be deceived into thinking that we could just hear it, and that's just sufficient. That that's not what your word says. It's we're to hear it and do it and to apply it and to change and to be molded into the image of Jesus. Lord, help this study to do that in us. Uh, to mold us and shape us, to correct us, to teach us, to instruct us, to raise us up to be godly men and godly women. Lord, that's what we're here for, to worship you and to learn from you at your feet and ask you that your spirit would illuminate the scriptures and we'll be able to go home rejoicing that we have changed, our hearts have been changed and we've been instructed in the way of righteousness. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your son that makes, makes it all possible, our Jesus dead and resurrected and coming again. Help, help us to preach that, Lord. Help us to be that in our lips constantly to our generation, to a generation that's lost without the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Turn to Luke chapter 2, and uh, it's a short passage today, uh, but is rich in understanding of what is this passage about. It's, it's about Jesus' childhood. Uh, it's rich, it's strong, it's powerful, it's amazing, but it's short. Of 33 and a half years of, or so of ministry of Jesus' life, we only know one account of his childhood. We only know one account, one account of Jesus' childhood. We don't know anything else about his childhood. We know his birth, we know the nativity, we know the incarnation. We've been studying that uh, since uh, later last year, 2013, from November, December. Uh, wonderful time of going through the Gospels at Christmas time. But one thing we don't know is what happened at the time of Jesus in his, uh, uh, his teenage years, his adulthood, up to the age of 30, we don't know anything else besides this one passage. This one account is the only thing we have in the Bible that tells us anything about Jesus' boyhood, his childhood, his teenage years, And why is that? Why did the Holy Spirit only put that account in the Bible? Why did God allow Luke to write only one account of the childhood of Jesus? Why, through all the interviews and talking to Mary, that Luke, uh, the the account writer, the Gospel of Luke, written by Luke, why would he, in his interview with Mary, only choose this one story, this one account, about the life of Jesus? Quite interesting, isn't it? But let's read it. And then we'll talk about it more. Verse 39. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to the Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. Verse 40. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know of it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, he went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father uh, and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked him. Didn't you know that I'm going to be in my father's house or in my father's business? Some translations will say that. But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them to, and they came to Nazareth, and he was obedient to them. His mother kept all these things in her heart, And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and with people. Passover festival. We're going to be having communion today, so this is uh, very well orchestrated and planned by the Lord. It wasn't us. 
uh, we're going to be taking communion, which is basically the Passover uh, of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. That's really our communion uh, in the New Testament sense. But people have been curious about the life of Jesus. People have written books, and uh, the early part of the church wasn't any strange to that. People have made tons of stories, incredible amount of stories about the boyhood of Jesus. They were written in different Gnostic Gospels. They were written in different accounts. You can find them today. You can read them. And I'm going to read through some of them today. Uh, it's called the Infancy Account or the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. The Infancy Gospel of Thomas. Not to be confused with the Gospel of Thomas. These are not Gospels. These are not Bible. These are forgeries. These are Gnostic. These are not anywhere near Scripture. So um, don't ask me today, where can I get a copy of it? Don't go read it. Uh, but it's good understanding of what people believed about Jesus and what they thought about him. Uh, many people in the early church believed that Jesus was a ghost, that he didn't have a physical body, that he was some kind of a, a spirit-like figure. You couldn't touch him, hug him, uh, you know, put your arm around him. He didn't leave footprints in the sand. He was just a ghost. Uh, it, was, it was a terrible, terrible heresy in the early church. Uh, because they thought Jesus was pure, and so uh, anything pure couldn't have a body. So if it had a body, then it had sin, and so Jesus couldn't have sin, so he had to be a spirit, some kind of ghostly figure. Um, that isn't true at all. Uh, in fact, First John was, was written for that. It says, who, who we, him who we handle, whom we touch, whom we heard. We handle the word of God, Jesus, the life, the truth. We were with them, John said. It wasn't a ghost. He was real. He was a man. But this is one of the Gospels of Thomas. Let me read a few of them to you. Um, and and uh, if you care to laugh, uh, uh, you're rightly to do that. It's, it's absurd. One, one day Jesus broke the Sabbath by making molded birds out of mud. Because he was in trouble, he blew on them, he, he breathed on them, and he made them fly away. One other account, Jesus cursed the son of Annas because he has spoiled the game that Jesus was playing and the boy withered up. A boy bumps into Jesus, and Jesus curses him, and he dies. Jesus is sent to school, and he's humiliated by his teacher. Oh, I'm sorry, he humiliates, he humiliates the teacher by baffling him with allegorical imagery. One of, the, one of Jesus' playmates is killed, falling from a building, and Jesus is blamed for it, but he raises the child to life, and he's excused. A pitcher is broken, so Jesus carries the water in his clothes instead. Joseph cuts a piece of timber the wrong size, but Jesus stretches it to fit. Another teacher slaps Jesus for answering back, and he's cursed by Jesus, and he dies. But a third teacher praises Jesus, and so Jesus is pacified, and he heals the first teacher. And then the book of uh, Gospel of Thomas finishes with a story similar to what we just read. And another story is uh, another boy bumps Jesus. Jesus falls in the mud, and Jesus gets up, and he curses him with leprosy. That was the story that were circulating on the early church about Jesus. It's called the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. These are uh, myth legends about Jesus. Uh, they make Jesus to be a brat. Jesus is some divine brat that gets away with everything. He doesn't like you, he curses you. He doesn't like what you said about him, you spoil his game, you got leprosy or you die. He was considered, according to the Gospel of Thomas, uh, uh, the Infancy Gospels, a, a, a divine brat who got away with everything he wanted because he was God. And that's what they made him out to be. And I'm telling you, the Bible that you have, the gospel account of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the true account of Jesus Christ. That's what God gave us. That's what the Lord God gave us to understand about Jesus. And there's a reason for it. There's a reason why there's only one story. And we'll talk about that. There's only one reason why God gave us this story. One story about the boyhood of Jesus. And that has to do with the fact that Jesus was very normal. Jesus was not some divine brat walking around with power, you know, seeking whom he would use it on. He simply was a very normal guy, a normal boy. He lived in Nazareth with a family, with brothers, with sisters, with aunts and uncles and friends and neighbors and relatives. And he just grew up very normal. It wasn't anything different. If you were in Nazareth at the time, you would not have been able to pick out Jesus from the crowd. He was just a normal kid. He was just a normal kid speaking Hebrew and Aramaic, uh, you know, calling for his mom and dad, you know, skin his knee and crying home, going home. That, that's really all that Jesus was at that point. But it's very interesting we have this account, and our curiosity perks up so many times that we think there's more to the story than what we have in the Bible, but there's none. 
There's only this account, and we'll talk about that, why. It's, it's a beautiful story. But we know this, that this child was very normal, and God chose for him a very beautiful family. They weren't very rich. They weren't very affluent. They were very poor. In fact, Nazareth was a place where he said it was just backwards country. It was the northern part of the Galilean area. Nor, uh, Nazareth was the wrong side of the tracks. I mean, in many accounts, we would say he grew up in the wrong neighborhood. He had the wrong address. He had the wrong zip code. You know, people are uh, fixating on zip codes today, uh, depending on uh, real estate companies. You know, you've got to have the right zip code. Well, Jesus didn't have the right zip code. Jesus was, didn't have the right place to live. Jesus, in many accounts in the Gospels, says he didn't even have a home. After uh, he grew up and he went on to his ministry, he didn't even have a home. But he grew up very poor. And what tells you something about God and the way he chooses the, the, the family for Jesus, his own son, God puts him in a place where there wasn't a lot of affluence. There wasn't anything more than simply godly parents. And I think God treasures that more than anything else. Not what we can give our kids in terms of affluence and money and comfort and all that stuff that we so highly value. God just puts the emphasis on raising them right, raising them godly, because that's what's going to last. That's really what's important. And God could have chosen them to put them anywhere. In the rich part of the family with, uh, in Jerusalem, he could have put him in any family, any king, any, any prince, any royalty. But he chooses to put him in this, this family, very poor, very honoring to God, though. And Jesus grew up that way. He grew up with a very godly home, which was that's what's important to the Lord. That's really what's important. When it all boils down, it's not what's on the bank account. It's what you're reaching our kids with, what you're teaching them about the Lord. That's going to be lasting. And so God emphasizes that. Another thing that's interesting is that as Jesus was growing, verse 40, he became strong and filled with wisdom. He became strong and filled with wisdom. Now, this is interesting because many times as parents, and I have kids, we want our kids to grow up and we want our kids to be uh, you know, very well balanced. But sometimes as they grow, especially if you have teenagers, uh, sometimes they grow physically and they're very imposing physically, uh, but maybe maturity-wise and, and emotionally, they're not mature yet. They're not, uh, they, they haven't grown into that. They maybe look like an adult, but they're very uh, childish in the way they behave and relationships. Uh, sometimes they're very emotionally ready, uh, but physically they're not, they don't look very tall or very big and they look like they're little kids, but they're maybe a little bit older. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's both. They're physically mature and emotionally mature. Uh, but relationship-wise, they, they can't hold a conversation. They're very shy. And sometimes we see that as parents. We see our kids growing up and they go, man, I wish my kid was like this. I wish I, you know, I had to help them in that regard or help them in that regard. But Jesus grew up very balanced. He grew up in all aspects. He grew up in wisdom. He matured in wisdom. Now, it doesn't say anything about clever or he was smart or some kind of, uh, you know, he was street smart or anything like that. He just grew up in wisdom. He had wisdom. God had raised him up in a godly home. God had put him in a godly, uh, with godly parents. And Mary and Joseph were very faithful to raise Jesus up in a very godly home. So he had wisdom. And we want our kids to have, this is the dream of any, any parents here. Oh, I love my kids to just, you know, I don't care if they're, I don't care if they're, they're good at this or they're good at that. I just want them to have wisdom. I just want them to recognize life and apply the right things that I've taught them to what they're doing so they have wisdom. Uh, now, Jesus also grew up in wisdom, but he's also grew up in stature and the grace of God was upon him. Jesus, uh, Jesus had, was very balanced in his growth. He had wisdom. He was growing. And he was, in all things, had favor, and the grace of God was upon him. This is a dream of any parent to see our kids in that way. Uh, you know, I've met people that are very physically able, mentally able, emotionally able, but there's one thing they're not able to do spiritually. They're spiritually, spiritually a three-year-old. They may be able to write a check for five grand to the church, but spiritually, they can't even pray. Spiritually, they can't even be able to counsel anybody or share the gospel with anybody. And that's a shame too. But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus had grown up to be in all aspects, in wisdom, in stature, and the grace of God was upon him, meaning that he was emotionally and spiritually mature. This is, this is a, a dream of every, any parent. But 
you know, we can, we can see our kids and we can see how they're going to grow up. And we say, man, he's lacking in this aspect. He's lacking in that aspect. And, and then we want to be there for them. But also our maturity needs to be there. I met, I'm telling you, I met 30, 40-year-olds who are little kids still. They were very immature. They're very childish. They throw tantrums. Uh, they, they, you know, they're, they're spoiled, and they, they, you know, they spend most of the time. I have nothing against video games per se, but spend most of their life playing video games, and and they, um, they they can't really hold any kind of responsibility. And they haven't grown up in wisdom. They haven't grown up in maturity. They haven't grown up spiritually. And this is, this is a very sad shame that that's really what we emphasize in our culture. Now, this is not me ranting on anything. This is simply. But the scripture says that Jesus grew up very different than what we would say today's kids in, in, in society today. That we want, uh, our, we want our family. We want us to be mature. I'm not talking about the, the teenagers or, or young people, but also our older folks. Like I told you, there's 40-year-olds that act like 15-year-olds. What a shame. But God doesn't want us to develop that way. God wants us to develop the way Jesus developed. Physically, in wisdom, uh, uh, spiritually, loving the Lord. And there's a few things it doesn't say about Jesus. He didn't prosper financially. It doesn't say anything about he prospered financially. It doesn't say anything about that Jesus uh, had uh, you know, moved up in the company and in the, in, in, in the, in the, in the family business. Uh, you know, Jesus didn't have a crew or he, he wasn't a foreman. He was, he was simply a, a man who worked. He was a man who worked, simply worked. And financially wasn't the issue. I know sometimes like, as parents, we want our kids to grow up and make six figures, and we think, oh, man, my son made it. He's making six figures. Yeah, but he can't pray, and he doesn't know the Lord. How is that important in that? Oh, he's making, he's, you know, lives up in the, I don't want to make any, Silicon Valley. Anybody here from the Silicon? He lives in the Silicon Valley, and um, he's making six figures. Yeah, but is he, is he, is, he, is it worth it? Your soul, is that really what you want from your kids, that he makes six figures? Or do you really want him to know God? You really want him to know Jesus? You really want him to grow in, in, in spiritual things? And, and sometimes we get it backwards with, with parents. We think our kids made it successfully because they're somewhat in, someone in, in status. Jesus wasn't like that. He didn't grow up in social status. He didn't get rich. He didn't get famous. He was very normal. In fact, he would say, well, that doesn't sound very fun. That's quite boring. No, it's not, it's not quite boring. It's quite spiritual. It's quite the way God wants our kids and us to grow. Not desiring financial success. Not desiring those things that you would say, man, I give up my whole life to do that. Not that it's wrong with uh, having resources, but it's wrong having resources instead of the real spirituality, the real thing that counts. And that is what God puts the emphasis on. The emphasis is growing in wisdom and in favor with God. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus was very like, was a childlike faith, but not childish. Jesus had childlike faith, but he wasn't childish. I want to explain what that means. It means that Jesus had a relationship with the, with, with the Father, with Abba, and his faith was always childlike. Remember what he taught us to be? He always taught us to be faith like a, faith like a child. Not childish, not throwing tantrums and fits of rage and emotionally unstable, but having a childlike faith, meaning that you believe what God told us to, to believe in. We hold true to what he said. We have faith in him, we rely on him, and what he told us, we rely on him. And Jesus was like that. And this is part of the humanity of Jesus that sometimes as Christians, especially mature Christians, we often forget and we put aside and we focus so much that he is the son of God, which he is. He's God in the flesh. But he's also the son of man. He's also as human as you are. He's also as very human, a very human. His blood, his bones, his structure was a very human being. And so Jesus was like that. Jesus was a man who had a childlike faith toward God. In fact, in many, in many of the prayers of Jesus, he calls his father Abba. In our translation, we would say Daddy. Daddy. Now, when we talk with adults, you know, we talk about your dad. I don't, I don't think many adults call their dad Daddy. I, I think we call them Father, right? Or my dad. But if, if there was a, a, a man today came up to me, if there was, you know, my daddy and I, we went to play ball. <laughs> well, how old is your daddy? Oh, he's 60. 
But you know, that would be sweet, wouldn't it? My daddy. I once met a man who always talked like that. He was a born-again believer. Awesome, awesome brother in the Lord. He just talked about his dad. And you thought his dad was like, like 25 and he was 15. And my daddy, we were at this. And we went fishing with my daddy. And, but your dad is it's, it's older. Yeah, but he's my daddy. He's always going to be my daddy. You know, that's good. And you know what? We look at that and we think, oh, that's kind of silly. But that's how Jesus lived. When you talk about his prayers, when you read his prayer, it says, Father, it's Abba. He's saying, Daddy, I'm here to glorify you. Daddy, into your hand I commit my spirit. Childlike faith on the cross. That's who Jesus was. As a man, he totally depended on the things of God and his word. He was a man. He was growing up. But he has an initiation. Let's look at the, let's go to the next slide. Is that the one? His initiation. Yes. Every year, his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. He was 12 years old, and they went up according to the custom. And let me tell you something about the Jewish culture. At 12 years old, you were considered a man. So how many 12-year-olds here? All right, Steve, you are a man. Yeah. And um, they, are, they were considered a man. They would actually be able to take over the family business. They could actually work alongside their dad. They could actually be held accountable, both uh, uh, in court and for their moral actions. They were actually considered to be a man. Now you are a man. In the Jewish culture, 12 years old, you're a man. I cannot tell you what I was doing at 12, but I was not anywhere near a man. But in those cultures, in that, in, that, in that environment, a 12-year-old boy was considered to be a man. It was initiation. Now we call it a bar mitzvah. It was it's the bar mitzvahs of the, of the boys, the bat, bat mitzvah of the, of the girls, about 14 years of age, is considered to be a woman. Now that's in the Jewish culture. Now Jesus, at 12 years old, he goes with the family to the festival called the Passover. We're going to talk about the Passover when we get to our communion today. But at the Passover, it was one of the three pilgrim feasts there were three feasts that all Jewish males had to attend. Because he was 12, he could not travel with the men. Because he was 12, he can travel with the men. Under 12, you travel with the, with the women. You travel with mom and you travel with the women. If you were over 12, 12 and above, you travel with the man and your dad. And so Jesus at this point, he's traveling with the caravan. So they, they, they travel in caravans, uh, friends and family from Nazareth, 80 miles down to Jerusalem. 80 miles down to Jerusalem to this festival. And they went up according to the custom of the festival. What's interesting thing is, it says they went up to the festival. But they're traveling south. If I had a map, uh, Nazareth is above, 80 miles north of Jerusalem. And you travel down to Jerusalem. But all in the Bible, every time you see that they're going to Jerusalem, it says they're going up. Even if they're coming south, they're going up. What is that? Because everywhere you go to Jerusalem, you always go up. It's Mount Zion. It's the Temple Mount. It's Jerusalem is on a hill. Uh, it, it's the glory of the Lord on the Temple Mount. It's, the, it's, it's, it's everywhere you go, wherever you're traveling, you always go up to see the Lord. That's a beautiful thing about it. And the Bible makes it very clear. No matter where you go, you always go up to see the Lord. Let us be glad, the psalmist said. When they call unto me, let us come up to the house of the Lord. Right? It was, it was normal. It, in, wherever you lived in Jerusalem, or in, I'm sorry, in Israel, you always went up to see the Lord. So Jesus' family is traveling south, but they're going up to see the Lord. They're going up to see in Jerusalem, and he traveled according to the festival. Remember, all Jewish males were to go to this festival, and it was the Passover. It was the Passover celebration of the freedom that God had brought through uh, the, 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 the Passover celebration from Egypt into the promised land. God delivered them. God set them free. God released them from their slavery in, 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 in Egypt and from the bondage into the promised land, into the promised life that they're going to have a wonderful life in the promised land. It was such a, it was such a freedom. They, they celebrated that freedom. In fact, in Exodus 12, it says that God wanted to perpetually remember that and celebrate it. The Jewish people have always kept the Passover. There were times where they forgot and they had a big revival and they went back up to celebrate the Passover because they forgot. This was something that they always had to keep, the Passover. And so Jesus goes up to this feast. It's redemption. It set them free from, the, from, the, from Egypt through the blood of the lamb. They had to put the blood of the lamb on the, on the doorpost of the, fam, of, the, of, the door, of, of the door of the, of the household and the angel of death will not enter in. They would pass over 
into the homes that did not have the blood. We'll talk about that in a moment. But they're celebrating this. And in verse 43, it tells us, when the days are over, they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. So I would tell you, they're traveling in caravan. When the pilgrim feast was over, everybody goes home. You're going up to Nazareth. And as they're going home, Jesus doesn't come with the family. And they don't notice it. Verse 44, assuming he was traveling in a party, uh, in the party, they went a day's journey and they began looking among the relatives and friends. Now, this is very interesting. You could travel 15 miles, one five, 15 miles covers one day. So they went up one day and usually they stopped in Jericho. Jericho was uh, the next stopping ground. Jericho from Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, St. Jericho. 15 miles up, you would find Jericho and it was always the place where they set up tents. What's really interesting about this, I was reading uh, Jewish history, the women would go ahead of the men and they would bring the tents and all the travel gears and all the suits and all the, I don't know if they had luggage back then, but some kind of luggage and they travel, they take the tents and they cook the food and the men would meet them up in a certain area, usually 15 miles down because that's what you can cover in one day and uh, I thought it was very interesting. I was like, um, the women do all the packing, all the cooking and all the traveling and the men just show up and then and, and we eat and I said uh, I almost wanted to say amen to that but uh, I don't want to uh, don't want to get in trouble my wife is here but um, uh, that's the way it was that's a culture that's where it was the men the women would travel ahead take all the gear cook all the food and the men would show up and they ate and everybody met up together and it was a great fun because it was a pilgrim feast it was celebration this was like a holiday it was the vacation time for, for uh, at that time. You, you took your vacation, you took your time off to go to celebrate this feast. So when you go on vacation, remember that. When you go on vacation, it's to celebrate the Lord, it's to worship the Lord. It's, don't check out on your vacation. Don't, don't oh, I'm not a Christian anymore. No, it's, you go and celebrate what the Lord has given you rest. But that's what they did. They went to celebrate uh, the feast and they traveled. But Jesus is not with them. And when they get to Jericho, I believe... 50 miles up to Jerusalem, they realize he's not there. They both get there and they, you know, the old story, I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. Where's Jesus? Somebody lost Jesus. Oh, no. And they have to travel back now. And remember, there's one day to Jericho, one day back. So that's two days. And then the next day, they're looking for him, but they can't find him. So for three days, they said they did not find him, verse 46. After three days, they found him. They finally found Jesus. It's interesting, uh, I had that very same experience when I was teaching uh, um, children's ministry. Um, we were teaching, it was, it was you know, the, the latter service, and we had this young kid, wonderful kid, knew the Lord really well, and um, parents very godly, and um, they left him, and I was in this class, and I was like, it's 12, it's 1? And this is before, uh, you know, people, people have cell phones now. This is way back when people, you know, very rarely you find somebody with cell phones, usually pagers. Yes, there were pagers back then. Yes, young men. Yeah, there were pagers. I'll show you a picture. I know we don't know what they are anymore, but there were pagers. And this kid, I went to the office. I said, you know, we have this kid. Nobody's picked him up. I said, can't take him home. And uh, finally his mom shows up, you know, all scattered and frantic. Oh, my goodness, baby, what's happened? How did you lose yourself? Why did you not stay where you were supposed to stay? And... It was the same thing. Mom was like happy and relieved, but you know, she let him have it. And what happened was he wasn't, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And he thought, the dad thought she picked him up. She thought the dad picked him up. And it was just a big confusion. He would stay there. He stayed there with me for like three hours. Uh, and and this, is, this is a similar story. What happened to Jesus? He was at the temple. Now, at the temple was very interesting because uh, after three days, he was in the temple And he was listening and asking them questions. Look what it says. He was sitting around with the teachers. These are the scribes. These are the scribes. Uh, These are the people that devoted their lives completely to the studying and teaching and understanding and copying the Word of God, the Old Testament. That was their job. They were the teachers of the law. I mean, if if somebody knew their Bible, these guys were it. And they were listening uh, listening to them and asking them questions. I know in some renderings, some art renderings of the Renaissance age, uh, there are pictures of Jesus just standing there looking angry, 12-year-old kid with his hand lifted up and really letting, them the, letting the, the scribes have it. 
Uh, this wasn't so. Jesus was not teaching. I know this was a common misconception that Jesus was actually teaching them and he was angry and he was just uh, you know, letting them know what it's like. Jesus was not doing that. This is the common Jewish way of learning. It's question and answer. You ask a question, they answer back. Then they ask you a question and you answer back. This is the normal Jewish way of learning. But by the way, it's a fantastic way of learning. Those who are in education, it's a fantastic way of learning. You ask your, your, your pupil a question, they answer back. You ask them a question. They ask you a question and you go back and forth and they learn. They learn by Q&A. This is why we still, it's our form of Q&A that we have in, the, in our modern day today. And they're learn, he's learning from them. Now this brings up a point that you have to understand about Jesus as a man. Jesus did not know up to this point, Jesus did not know that um, he was the son of God. <gasps> what are you talking about? When Jesus was in the major, he didn't, grow up, he didn't go up and looked at the sky and said, oh, God, thank you, Father, for putting me in this major and this baby, and, you know, I'm a baby, and uh, thank you, things are looking up. Yeah, he, he didn't have that. Jesus was a baby, a normal baby with normal sleeping patterns. You see little Ricky there, and we got some babies coming up uh, soon, and where's Luce? Luce's going to have a baby too, and Anika's going to have a baby, and uh, Janet's going to have a baby. I mean, they were, this baby, it's just a baby. It's just a baby. It's a beautiful day, beautiful baby. Gina's going to have a baby soon. Um, Jesus was like that. He didn't, was, wasn't looking up to heaven and saying, oh, isn't it great? I'm a, I'm a baby now. He was a baby. And he did not know when he was a baby that he was the son of God. He did not know. It was, it's called the progressive revelation of Jesus. At this point, at 12 years old, he knew because he talks about his father, his father's business. Up to that point, whenever that was, I don't know when it was revealed to him that he was the son of God. He did not know it was revealed to him as he grew in grace and favor with God, he understood that he was the son of God. It's very important to understand that. I don't want you guys to get mixed up and I don't want you guys to call me a heretic either. Jesus as a little baby did not know, could not comprehend who he really was, okay? Now, the other heresy is Jesus was just a normal man, and God just said, hey, I want you to be the Messiah, and he just put his spirit upon him, and then he was the Messiah. No, he was always the Messiah. It's just that he needed to grow in grace and learning and understanding that he really was the Son of God. The book of Hebrews says, he learned obedience through suffering. Now think about this. The almighty God, the omniscient God had to learn something? Jesus, yeah. Remember when Jesus was talking about his coming? He said, nobody knows when I'm coming. Nor the angels, nor the Son. Jesus did not know. On earth, he did not know when he was coming back. Only the Father knows. Well, wait a minute. Jesus is omniscient. Yes, he is. But there are some things that he limited himself by being in this body, by being a man, he limited himself from knowing certain things. He knew the heart of man. He knew what's going on. He knew ahead of time. He was God. By the Spirit, he knew. But there are some things he limited himself from knowing because he was a man who had to learn obedience and had to learn obedience through suffering. He was a man that had to learn the scriptures, just like you, just like me. God did not download the Hebrew version of the Bible, into Jesus' mind. He did not download the Septuagint, which was written by that time, into his mind. Jesus had to learn. Jesus had to read the scriptures. Jesus had to spend time praying and seeking the Lord daily. And he was taught from a good home and a godly parents that he uh, needed to search God. He needed to learn about the Lord. Read the book of Hebrews. We don't have time today. Read the book of Hebrews and talking about the, how Jesus is a man. Worship God in the assembly. In the assembly, he lifted up holy hands. He worshiped God. He vehemently cried and sought the Father. He was a man just like us. He was a man that sought the Lord, that sought his Father, just like we're to seek, his father, or seek our Father. But yet he was God. Yet he was the son of God. Yes, he was divine. Yet he was absolutely 100% God and 100% man. How does that work, pastor? It is the mystery of the incarnation that you're still trying to read and understand. But this is what Jesus was doing. He was asking questions. He was learning from these teachers. I know what, you know, in some paintings, he's teaching them. He wasn't teaching. 
Jesus was not teaching. Jesus was asking. And then getting the answer. And then he was, they were asking him and he was asking them. And it was a, a way of Jewish learning. Jesus was asking them and they come to him. And they said, why have you done this? Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have anxiously been searching for you. Anxiously been searching for you. And Jesus thinking, wait a minute. I'm in the temple. I'm doing my father's business or father's house. Uh, Both translations are okay because the idea of the father's house or father's business is the idea of the economy of the house. What is the economy of God's house, which is the temple at this point, was the economy was to teach God's people, to get them closer to God, to redeem them. That was, that's God's intention in the temple. That was God's intention so that people could know him. And so Jesus was being in the father's business or in the father's house. It's the same idea. It actually works perfectly well. Jesus was now in the father's house. Jesus was now involved in the father's business. Jesus was now involved, not in Joseph's business. Remember at 12, you can take over the family business. At 12, you're now accountable uh, to take the, the same responsibilities as your father. He's now taking responsibility, but not Joseph's shop, <laughs> his father, father in heaven, Abba father. He's now in the temple doing what he's supposed to be doing. And Mary comes and he says, why have you done this to us? Why are you treating us? Like this is a typical Jewish mom. You're relieved to see him, but you, you're mad. <laughs> you're mad at him, but you're relieved to see him. You want to love him. You want to spank him. You want to do something. And I don't know if you ever lost one of your kids. I don't know if, you know, maybe, you know, in, on traveling or somewhere, you misplace your kid or you don't know where he's at. And, you know, you're, you're mad at them, but you're so relieved to find them. This was a typical Jewish mom's response. Uh, why have you done this to us? We anxiously have been searching for you. He says to them, why do you search for me? Don't you know that I'm to be in my father's business or my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying. I don't believe Mary and Joseph had told them all the things that had transpired regarding his birth. This was something Jesus learned. And he was, it was revealed to him as he was growing up in grace and stature and wisdom. By this time, he knows who his father is. He knows that it's God. It's not Joseph. That's what he says. I'm in my father's house. I'm in my father's business now. I'm not in the workshop in Nazareth. I'm actually in the temple. This is where I'm supposed to be. The thoughts of Samuel would have, you know, ring true in your ear today. Samuel was a young boy. Hannah prayed. The Lord gave him supernatural birth of, you know, it was a prophecy that was given to Hannah that he was, he was going to have a baby. And at, at a certain age, she brought Samuel to the tabernacle to learn and sit under Eli. So Jesus is there, just like Samuel. He's learning with the teachers. He's learning with the scribes. He's learning, with the, he's learning the word of God through them. But it's something very interesting. His action is so amazing. Let's go to the next slide. His action is so amazing. What is his action? He went down with them and he came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother's kept all these things in her heart. Her mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with the people. He could have run, he could have ran Joseph's shop, but he was in the temple. And he decides, the amazing thing, he decides to go with them because they didn't understand. It wasn't time yet. It wasn't time for him to be revealed as the Messiah yet. And you can look at this and say, Jesus, what are you doing? You're in the temple. Why do you go back? Why are you going back to Nazareth? To be in a, in a shop with your, with your foster parent, Joseph, to be there uh, for the next 18 years, we don't know anything about Jesus until his ministry begins. From 12 to, eight, uh, from 12 to 30, we don't know anything about his life except for this account. 12, and then he disappears. He disappears from history in a sense. Um, he goes back to Nazareth, and he does something very amazing. He submits himself. He became obedient to them. This is so important for teenagers to understand uh, and for anybody under authority. He submitted himself to them. He knew he was God. He knew he was the son of God. He, at this point, he knew he was the son of God. My father is God. But I'm going to go with you. I'm going to submit myself to you. I'm going to grow up in Nazareth and I'm going to live under your care, under your tutelage, under your home. This was amazing. hope we understand this. Jesus, the Son of God, knowing fully well he was God, 
He submitted himself to his earthly parents because he wanted to show obedience to God and honoring his mom and dad. This is such a beautiful thing. Uh, nowadays, we'd say, well, you know, somebody's, um, somebody, you know, kids know better than the parents today. That's, that's the way the world sees it. You see it in movies, you see it in everything. You know, older parents are ridiculed. You know, the young people, they have all the answers. Jesus didn't think like that. Jesus knew that it was best for him to grow up in grace and in wisdom. And that's what it says in verse 52. He increased in wisdom and stature. I can tell you what happened over the next 18 years. I don't need the Gnostic Gospels to tell me all these ridiculous stories. For the next 18 years, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and in favor with man. That's what Jesus did for the next 18 years. He was in absolute obedience to his parents. He was in absolute under the grace of God. He grew in wisdom. He grew in the scriptures. Remember, he had to learn the scriptures. He had to seek the Lord. In Hebrews, it says, I, I quoted earlier, he learned obedience through suffering. Uh, he had to learn something. He had to learn as a man how to live in this world through all the difficulties, through all the trials and heartaches and headaches and failures and manipulation of man and things that happen to you, afflictions, he had to learn how to worship God and live for God in a world in which we live in. This is what Jesus had to do. As God, he became a man and walked in our shoes and felt and felt what we felt and all the difficulties you and I have he walked in those things, and he learned how to be obedient to the Father despite all the circumstances surrounding him. Can you imagine? At 12 years old, he knew he was the Son of God. As, he was, as things were being revealed to him, he now had to come to grips with the fact that he was going to die for the sins of the world. And the sins that he looked around and sins done to him he had to come to conclusion that he was going to die and pay for those sins that were committed to him and committed around him. And he grew up with that. And he learned. And he stayed faithful in those very things that he was enduring. It's amazing. Amazing to think of Jesus like that. He grew in wisdom. He grew physically. He did not need to learn in a sense because he was God. He knows everything. But when he became a man, he became like us. He became like one of us so that we can go to see the Father, so we can go to be with him. This is the wonders of the incarnation. As Christians, we forget that he's the son of man. This is, this is quite common. Don't, don't feel like, oh, I never thought of it that way. This is quite, quite true. If you're not a Christian today, you need to know that he's the son of God. If you're not a Christian today, you need to know that he's the son of God. Because most non-believers think he's the son of man. They, they have no problem thinking Jesus was a man. They have no problem. They think he's a great man. They think he was a, you know, a great meditator and he, he, you know, he learned magic in Egypt and India and he did things. And They have no problem with him thinking as a man. They have to come to grips that he's the son of God. As Christians, though, we believe he's the son of God. We know what we need to learn and grow in that he's the son of man, that he is our great high priest, that he is a comforter in our weaknesses because he knows exactly what it is to live in this world, this world that's full of sin, this world that is completely crazy sometimes. He knows what it's like to live in this world, and yet without sin, he persevered to worship and follow God. And to the end, even to the death of the cross, he was obedient. That's our example. That's maturity. That's growing in wisdom. That your commitment to the Lord, it's despite the circumstances, were to walk in faith following him. He went ahead of us by doing what no one else could do, and that is one man in the history of this universe. One man was able to complete God's law and fully submit himself to all the ordinances, all the statutes, every word of God, every word that's in the Bible, Jesus fulfilled it. Everything, to the T. And he can stand as a representative of us. He's our representative. He is our, he's our second Adam. He represents us before God. And through him, through faith, we can be forgiven because he kept everything God ever said. He was the perfect man 
and he was the perfect God. And through his example of growth and maturity, we can say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I want to grow to be like Jesus. My maturity can only be compared to what Jesus did. My level of spirituality needs to be measured up to how, how well am I following Jesus? How close am I being to him? How am I being looked at? Am I being, do I look more like Jesus today? Am I growing in that image that God wants for me? Well, 2014 is right, it's right here. We're one month into it. We look back at 2013 and we go, man, there's a lot of stuff we did. And yeah, there was a lot of stuff we did. And you know what? Whatever you did, it wasn't that important. Because what's more important is what you became out of what you did. Okay? It's what you became out of what you did. You might have traveled. You might have done all great things. You might have done awesome things. But you know what? How are you today? How did that change you? How, how, what have you become? Have you become more like Jesus? Or are you further, further, further slipping away from his image? See, 2014 is right here. And we're one month into it. We're going to keep going. And whatever happens is not what you do. It's what you become. What do you become from what happened to you? I know what Jesus did. Out of all the trials and difficulties and problems he faced, he continued to be faithful. And he grew in wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And he became our great high priest. He became our mediator. There's only one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. He became what Hebrew says, that through him we can come to the throne of grace to find mercy in time of trouble. We can come to the throne of grace because of him, our great high priest. What have we become? What are we going to be? Are we going to grow? Are we going to become more like Jesus? You know, that's something only you can answer. That's something only I can answer. But I pray is visible. I pray in your life is visible that you're growing in the grace of Jesus. I pray that you can stand with your kids and your wife and say, you know what, whatever happened in 2013 happened. But this is what I become. I become a follower of Jesus. I become more in love with Jesus. I become more faithful to the things that Jesus said. I'm more faithful to service. I'm more faithful to love my brothers on my left and on my right and in front of me and behind me. I'm more faithful to the ministry. I'm more faithful to the things of God. That's what's important. That's what I understand this text to be. That in order for you to understand, amen, there's no sermon in this text. There's no miracles. And so he was like, it's quite, kind of boring, isn't it? Like he just got lost and somebody found him and then he went on. No, 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 you missed it. What the Bible is teaching. And then you got to remember, why did Luke choose the story? Why did God put it in here? Only one answer, to teach us what it's like to grow in maturity and faithfulness, just like our Lord. That despite the circumstances, you, you can make a, you, you know, you could say, man, I'm stuck. I'm, you met a teenager today or 20, 20 something years old, I don't know. You can say, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm living in the war. I'm living in San Bernardino. I'm living in, I don't know. It's just, I'm stuck here. You're never stuck. I know a lady that's, this past year, all she did, all he did was watch her mom. She has Alzheimer's, and that's all she did. And she told me, what a waste of a year. I said, no, it's not a waste. It's not important what, what you did. You did a great thing. You're faithful to your parents. God's going to honor you. You may feel like it's a waste. Because all she did was, you know, get up. You know, if you, if you took care of your parents, man, God bless you. Man, it's amazing. Uh, in those circumstances, it's hard. And you got to get up, and, and you're up at all times of the day, and you got to feed them, and you got to make sure they're okay. And it's not what, what you did. It's what you became out of that. Never consider it a waste. Jesus went to Nazareth. Think about that. He was in Nazareth. You would say, well, I'm in San Bernardino. Yes, like in Nazareth. You may live in Fontana. Yes, like in Nazareth. But it's not what it's been done in your life. It's what you became out of it. Jesus, for the next 18 years, grew up in Nazareth. What did he become? Luke chapter 4. He tells us he went into the synagogue. Somebody handed him a scroll and he said, today... 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news, to bring comfort and liberty to the captives, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Close the scroll, handed it back to them, and he says, Today it is fulfilled in your ears. I'm the Messiah. I'm here. And people freaked out. They wanted to kill him that day. Hey, who is this guy? Isn't he Joseph's son, the carpenters? Who does he think he is coming here? Oh, boy. We don't get it, huh? They didn't get it then either. What have we become? What have we become? I could only tell you this. For this next year, I want to measure my growth to the growth that Jesus had. I want to be an image and likeness of Jesus. That's what God wants for me. I'm okay with that. And I pray that for you, and I pray that for myself, and I pray that for my kids as well. Not by what you did, but what you became. Not what you did, but what you became. Whatever 2014 has, don't worry about it. Embrace it. Embrace it. The Lord will transform you and change you to be like him. I promise you that. But he submitted. We need to submit. But pastor, my life is a mess. Yes, he knows. He's a great high priest. He understands all of your infirmities and your weaknesses. Nothing gets by him. But he wants you to grow. And he wants you to grow in wisdom and spirituality to be like him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. We honor you, Lord, with our lives, with our, with our worship, with our singing, with our praises. Lord, thank you, Father, for every blessing that you give us. And I praise you today, Lord, for the blessings that you have in our fellowship. And I ask you, Lord, that you would strengthen us. You strengthen this body. You would give us your truth, Lord. You would give us your grace. You would give us your strength, Lord God, to go forward in our day. No matter what's happened or what will happen, Lord, we want to worship you. We want to embrace, Lord, that which you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings. And, Lord, also the difficulties, the trials, the heartaches, the headaches, the, the problems, the, the difficulties, Lord, that we have Lord, we, we offered it to you and say, Lord, if you allowed it, I want to grow from it. I want to I become like Christ in this matter. And I want to serve you. And I want to be faithful through it. So, Lord, help me. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name.